Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. Maybe you're like, who is this guy up here? I know it has been a while since I have been up here because just a few weeks ago was one of the most significant moments in my life, and that is I got married to my wife, Gabby. Yeah, there we go. I think y'all are more awake than the people in the 8 o'clock service, let me tell you. But it was super awesome. I had people ask me leading up to the wedding if I ever had any doubts about marrying Gabby. And I could say with 100% confidence, I never doubted that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. But there was one thing about our wedding that I second-guessed a little bit. And that was in our wedding vows, I told Gabby that I would be nice to her dog because that's a way of showing her love. And if you know my relationship with this dog, you know that this is a pretty big promise and I'll probably be held accountable to it for the rest of my life. But we had a really good time away. We went on our honeymoon all the way out to California. Actually, let me show you this picture of our wedding. There it is. Woo, yes. So anyways, we go out to California for our honeymoon and... Now, somebody told me this just this last week, and I agree with them, that oftentimes you remember the things that don't go according to plan. And I think if you've been married, you have a honeymoon story of something that doesn't go according to plan. And there were definitely a few instances where I had expectations up here, but reality didn't really meet my expectations. And so anyways, we go to California, we spend the first part of our trip in Yosemite National Park, And then our game plan was to go to the beaches of Northern California. Now, in my mind, I imagined that these beaches would be like Florida beaches and look a lot like this. In reality, the beaches were more like this, with piles of like seaweed washed up on shore, hundreds of flies, and I had pictured myself just basking in the sun. No joke, we brought a sleeping bag with us to the beach, and we are like curled up in this sleeping bag because it was freezing at this beach. And so we had to have a change of plan because we were not ready to spend the rest of our week at a beach like that. And so we're headed to our Airbnb, and my expectation of an Airbnb is that it would look like this. We had just spent two nights sleeping in a tent. And we are looking forward to this nice stay in a real bed. And Gabby's checking out the description, and she's like, oh, no, I missed a detail here. This place does not have a kitchen. Actually, this Airbnb looked a lot more like this, which was just a bedroom attached to somebody else's house with a bathroom on it. And we were spending three nights in this place. We didn't even have a way to cook food. And so just with one thing after another, not going according to, according to plans, Gabby was in a little bit of a low point. She's like, our honeymoon is ruined and we can't cook food. And I tried to cheer her up a little bit. I'm like, babe, don't worry about it. I have my camp stove. I will whip you up something really nice. That did not cheer her up. She's like, we're going to eat like hobos on our honeymoon. <laughs> Thankfully... Things worked out. We ended up spending the last night of our honeymoon in a little bit nicer of an Airbnb. I just want to give you one more example of reality not matching up with expectations. So this is a picture from our wedding. Our photographer took that with her cell phone and then sent it to us. And I'm like, wow, this is a really good picture just taken with a cell phone. 
Like we are basically the cutest couple out there. We are going to go on our honeymoon and have so many Instagram-worthy pictures. But in reality, we ended up with a picture like this. <laughs> now you might be like, wow, that's really embarrassing. Why would you show that in church? If I didn't show you that picture, I think Gabby would show you because she was going to all of my sisters like, hey, check out this embarrassing picture of Adam. So it's just one more example of reality not lining up with my expectations. And I think it's normal in life to have expectations and it's, it's not bad. I don't think we should always be in the mindset of no expectations are the best expectations. But as much as we can, let's have expectations that line up with reality and then be able to handle the situation well when reality is disappointing and when things don't go the way that we had planned. I think we have expectations for every area of our lives, even in what it looks like to be a Christian. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably have expectations of what it's like to follow after God. And it can be easy to believe some things about what it's like to be a Christian that aren't really true, to believe that God just cares about your happiness or that God will never let you go through anything in life that feels like it's more than you can handle or that if you just follow after God, then he will give you the perfect life, like the house, the car, the wealth, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, something like that. Or you believe that if you just follow after Jesus, you won't have to struggle with that sin problem anymore. Or if you just follow after Jesus and you're connected with other people in the church, then you're following Jesus, they're following Jesus, things will get along just fine. But the reality sometimes is a little bit more like this. And if I was to go around this room and ask you, what's the most difficult or disappointing thing that you have ever gone through? You might tell me it's things like going through a messy divorce or battling cancer. Maybe you've had a miscarriage or you've been disowned by somebody in your family. And maybe uh, it's just been emotional wounding from somebody else. And for some of you, like that is part of your story, maybe in your past, maybe you're currently going through something like that. And for others of you, maybe you haven't gone through anything that you would say was a really significant difficulty, but you're wondering how you would respond if you were to go through something like that. And so this morning we'll be turning to God's word and looking at the kinds of expectations that we should have for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and then how to deal with things when we go through discouraging and really hard times. And so we'll be in the book of First Peter. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to chapter 4 and we'll be starting in verse 12. And the, the book of First Peter was written to a bunch of Christians who were living in what's now modern day Turkey. And these people were living under the oppressive rule of the Greeks and the Romans and to give you a little bit of background of this time in history, this was shortly after Nero was emperor and then burnt down the city in Rome. You're like, why would he burn down his own city? Well, he wanted to build it back better. And so he sets fire to people's houses, businesses, and all their livelihoods and just turns it into rubble. 
Now, who wants to take the blame for burning down a city like that? Nero had intentions to do it, but he didn't want to take the blame. And so he shifted that blame to Christians, and he accused Christians of burning down this city, which just propelled a hate for Christians. And so people would just have a bad view of Christians and just persecute them and give them a hard time for things that they didn't even do just because they were a follower of Jesus. And maybe we haven't experienced that kind of suffering or some of the things that they went through. But I think that what Peter has to say in this book of the Bible is just as relevant for us today and maybe some of the things that we are walking through. Because I want to be able to tell everybody here that if you follow Jesus, then that's the easy path, and you'll never have to go through anything hard. But the reality is that following God doesn't make you immune to difficulty. We take a look at verse 12 here. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, what is a fiery ordeal? Like, is that just eating too much Taco Bell or something like that? Yeah. (laughs) No, a fiery ordeal is a, a challenge or some kind of difficulty. And when Peter is using this word, he's kind of painting a picture here. A picture of like a gold nugget that has just been mined. And in that gold nugget, there's all kinds of impurities. There's like minerals and dirt and other kinds of rocks, both on the outside and even on the inside. Now that nugget is worth something as it is, but is not as good as it could be. And to refine that gold and to make it as good as it could be means that that gold has to go through a process of being melted down so the impurities can be scraped off of it. And what Peter is saying here is that sometimes God will put Christians through hard seasons of life so that we come out on the other side better than we were before. To come up with a paraphrase for these verses, I would say that don't be surprised when God turns up the heat in your life to purify you or to get rid of some junk in your life. Because sometimes when we go through a struggle, we can either run away from God or we can run closer to God. And sometimes we come out of that struggle better than we were before when we run to God and we're in his word and we're praying and we're getting connected with other Christians because we feel like that's the only way that we can make it through that. And the, the second point here is that suffering might be a step up, not a setback. So in the next verse here, in verse 13, it says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter says something pretty crazy here. It's one of those verses that isn't necessarily hard to understand, but it is so hard to live out in our lives. And he says to rejoice when you participate in the sufferings of Christ. This means suffering and going through hard times for doing what God has called you to do. And nobody knows what it's like to suffer awful pain more than Jesus. I was thinking about this. Like, has anybody else in history ever suffered more than Jesus? And I think the answer to that is no. 
Jesus was beaten. He was hung up on this cross with nails pinning him through his wrists and in his feet. And he was dying of suffocation because his body weight was putting pressure on his lungs. And the only way for him to catch a breath was to put weight on his feet, which drove the nail in even deeper into his feet. And so all of that is so awful, some pretty bad suffering. But that wasn't even the worst of it. I think the worst of it is that Jesus suffered the abandonment of God. He says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And while Jesus was up there on that cross, God the Father turned his back on his one and only son and poured the penalty for the sins of the entire world on the shoulders of Jesus. And that is something that I don't think any just normal human can bear. And so Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. And when we go through hard times in life, because we are following after Jesus, we can rejoice, not because those are good things that are happening in our lives. Like when Peter says to rejoice, he doesn't mean to say that you have to enjoy what you're going through. It doesn't mean that you have to fake a smile, but you can rejoice because there are better things ahead of when you go through suffering. Like if somebody comes to me and they're telling me about a hard time that they're going through in life, I want so badly to just tell them, things will get better. It'll all work out. But sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you could be at rock bottom and it just feels like things get worse and worse and worse. And so where is the hope in that? How can you rejoice when things get worse and worse and worse? But my go-to passage about this kind of hope is in Matthew chapter 5. And this is where Jesus gives a sermon to a whole crowd of people. And in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I'll skip down a few verses to verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this sounds pretty backward. Like, blessed are the people who mourn, the people who are persecuted and go through hard times. Even Jesus is saying to rejoice, and this sounds a lot like what Peter is saying. And maybe you're going through the hard times in life, and you're like, I don't feel blessed at all. Are these verses even? I believe that the blessing here that Jesus is talking about might not be fully experienced in this life, but these blessings are for when we are in heaven. If you are a believer in Jesus, there will be a time when there is no more pain, no more suffering, and that is where we have the rewards of living the Christian life. And that can give us so much hope because even if things get worse and worse and worse and worse, that there will be a time when things get better, and that is what our joy is connected to. And so as Christians, we are called to just focus on eternity. And the next point here is that struggling 
isn't a license to sin. If we flip back to 1 Peter, he says in the beginning of verse 14, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, I like to think about things in super simple terms. And so this is kind of how I break down this verse. If suffering for following Jesus, that's good. Suffering for sinning, that is bad. We call those consequences. And so what Peter is saying is he's writing to these people who are being persecuted because they are a Christian. The people that they're surrounded with are living lifestyles that don't honor God, and they're probably like, hey, goody two-shoes, like, you Christian, you don't want to have fun, you don't want to do this anymore, and they're like, no, our life has been changed by Jesus, we don't want to do that anymore. Or maybe they're just beating up on these Christians because they just got this hatred for Christians that, I don't know, maybe comes from Nero or this idea that the Christians burnt down the city. And so they're just giving them a hard time. But Peter's saying that if you are suffering because you are a follower of Jesus, that is good. But if you're going through hard times in life because it's the consequence of bad decisions, that's not something that we get a reward for sometime in heaven. And so that kind of suffering can help us to just reevaluate what it is we're doing. Like, why are we experiencing these kinds of consequences so that we can get back on track and live the way that God has called us to, do, to live? And the, the last point here is that suffering may produce opportunities for the gospel. We see that in verse 16. It says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So I want to jump back to verse 16 here, where it talks about not being ashamed when you suffer for Jesus. And sometimes it can be pretty easy to be embarrassed of God when people are teasing you because of your faith. Maybe it's for what you do at your work or what you don't do or the kind of character that you have. And so maybe people think that you're just a goody two-shoes and you don't like to have fun, and so they tease you because of that. Or maybe there's some kind of difficulty going on in your life and people are like, hey, you're, you're a Christian, you're following God. Why would God let you go through that? And in those moments... We are called to, to just thank God for the opportunity that we have to be a Christian and to not kind of minimize God or to take him out of the picture or to do anything that shows that we are ashamed of God. Now I want to go to verse 17 and just read those verses again because they're a little bit confusing. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. So who is God's household? I believe that that is the community of believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus. But where do, what is this judgment? Like, wh Why would God want to judge people who are following after him? And I don't believe that this is like punishment kind of judgment, but I think this goes back to the idea that we saw in verse 12, that sometimes God brings us through things in life 
that are for the purpose of refining us and making us more like Jesus. So then he goes on to say, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here's a little timeline that I made up of the life of a believer. All of us at one point or another were in this camp. We were not followers of Jesus. We were just going through life, following after our desires. But then if you are a follower of Jesus, then this is part of your story, where you have this new life in Jesus. God has worked in your heart, and you have believed in him for salvation, and you have the forgiveness of your sins. But then there's this part of the timeline of having your faith in Jesus and then being with him in heaven for all of eternity. And this time of our lives can be really, really hard. Because as we read in verse 12, Peter says, don't be surprised when you are going through difficulty. And when we go through seasons of difficulty and hardship, that is part of God's plan. He is still in control even when things in life are tough. And it's the kind of thing where it can push us away from God if we don't respond to things well, or it can draw us closer to God when we lean into what he is in our lives. And that's difficulty. It's just part of the Christian journey until we experience the fullness of our salvation when we are in heaven with God someday. Now, this is hard for a Christian. Peter's saying, just imagine what it is like if you don't have this hope of being in heaven someday. This is what it's like to not be saved. You're lost in sin. And, and even if you have the picture-perfect life in this present life, you don't have the hope of being with God for all of eternity in heaven. And I don't know what kind of struggle it is that you've been through or you're currently going through. And I don't want to minimize the difficulty of what that is. But I think that sometimes when we are struggling, it's easy to have our head down and just focus on what it is that we are going through. But if we were to just pick up our head and, and see the bigger picture of things, we would see so many people who don't have a relationship with Jesus and they don't have this hope of being with him for all of eternity. And as Christians, we could go through the most awful, difficult things in this life, but that's just like a blink of the eye compared to the glory and the greatness of being with God in, for all of eternity in heaven. But if somebody doesn't have their faith in Jesus, they can have the most picture-perfect life now, but not have this kind of hope. And wouldn't we love to see other people have this kind of hope? And maybe the difficulty, the suffering that we are going through is part of what God is using in our life to kind of wake us up a little bit, get our attention to see what it is he's doing in our hearts or to give us the platform to be able to, to connect with other people and whatever it is that we are going through so that we can have opportunities to share with them the hope that we have for all of eternity. I'm going to wrap things up now by looking at the last verse in this chapter, and it just gives us two action steps. 
Let's go ahead and look at this in verse 19. It says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Action step number one, I guess, trust God. And trusting in God doesn't mean that you don't have questions sometimes. Maybe you're going through something in life and you're like, why God? Why am I going through this? What are you trying to show me? Who, who are you? What is part of your character? And having those kinds of questions isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think trusting God just goes back to who God is, that he is good in everything that he does, and that whatever it is that you are going through is not outside of God's control. And that you just run back to his character, his faithfulness, and his goodness. There's this song called Why God by Austin French. And I don't have time to play this song, but there's some really good themes in this song about just being at that place in life where you're crying out to God, like, what is going on? But then being anchored in the reality of who God is. And if you're going through some tough things right now, I really want to encourage you to to look up this song. You can find it on YouTube or on Spotify. And for us to just have these anchors in our life for turning back to the truth of who God is, I would really encourage all of us to have at least one Bible verse that we can run to when we are going through seasons of difficulty. For me, that verse is James 1-2 that says, Count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that verse is an anchor for me because it reminds me that the hard times that I'm going through in life are part of God's plan and that he can use those things to grow me in my faith. Maybe for you it could be that verse. Maybe it could be a verse that we read in this passage here this morning. Or maybe you could just go to Google and look up verse about suffering, verse about having joy or going through discouragement. And write that down on a three-by-five card. Tuck it in your Bible. Underline it in your Bible. But just have that ready for the times that you go through difficult times in life. And the second action step here is to do good. And I think a really great example of that is Harry Jackson. And he's sitting here this morning. And if you know Harry, you know that he's gone through some challenges in the last couple of years with his health. I remember a while back, there was this benefit dinner to help raise money for his medical expenses. And there were a lot of people who showed him generosity. But what blew my mind is the generosity that Harry showed other people. And it can be so easy to just think that, like, that he doesn't have to invest in other people, that he's the one that needs to be invested in. But he has just followed this example of, even in the difficult times, doing good. And I don't think anybody else leads more small groups than Harry Jackson. I was planning out a time to meet up with him for dinner. He's like, I've got a small group this night, this night, this night, and this night. And those two salvations that we got to celebrate this morning came from what he was doing in his small group. And God has used both him and Billy. And they've both gone through some really tough things that could have moved them to the sidelines. But they leaned into what God was doing And God has them on the front lines. And that's what I would love to see in my own life if ever someday I go through those kinds of challenges. And I think that's that's the example that all of us need 
and to know that God can work in our lives and use us even when we are going through really tough things. And let us just hang on to that hope that we have of heaven even when things feel like they are at rock bottom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Even when we are going through the toughest things, I'm so thankful that it is never outside of your control. I thank you that you are not leaving us, but that you are with us every step of the way. And I thank you for sometimes what you teach us in the challenging times. And it's hard to see it in the moment, but I'm sure in a lot of our stories, we could say that even in the tough times that you did something good through that. And I ask that no matter what people here this morning are going through, that they would just lean into what you were doing in their lives and that they would come out better in the end and that we would get through all of this through your strength. Because even when we feel like we can't handle it, God, you are with us. And sometimes that's what you use as part of your plan. I thank you that you are good, that you are an awesome God. And I ask that we'd continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.